0: chapter thirty nine of prophets priests and kings by alfred george gardner this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty nine rudyard kipling mr rudyard kipling is the first englishman to be awarded the nobel prize for literature he is the first englishman to be crowned in the court of literary europe he is chosen as our representative man of letters while george meredith thomas hardy and algernon charles swinburne are still amongst us the goldsmiths are passed by and the literary blacksmith is exalted we do not know the grounds of the decision but we do know that mr kipling is not our king where o'flaherty sits is the head of the table where george meredith sits is the throne of english literature twenty years ago mr kipling went up in the sky like a rocket a rocket out of the magic east scattering its many-coloured jewels in the bowl of night never was there such a dazzling spectacle the firmament with all its stars was a mere background of blackness for its sudden splendor Today we see that the firmament with its stars is still there what of the rocket it was a portent it proclaimed the beginning of a decade of delirium which was to culminate in a great catastrophe twenty thousand british dead on the south african veldt and the saturnalia of mafeking night in london the rocket that rose in the east completed its arc in the transvaal mr kipling in a word was the poet of the great reaction this voice sang us free says mr watson of wordsworth it may be said of mr kipling that this voice sang us captive through all the amazing crescendo of the nineties with its fever of speculation its barney barnatoes and whitaker wrights its swagger and its violence its raids and its music-hall frenzies the bard of the banjo marched ahead of the throng shouting his songs of the barrack-room telling his tales of the camp-fire and the jungle proclaiming the worship of the great god Jingo what did they know of england those pitiful mean-souled little englanders prating of justice slobbering over natives canting about the righteousness that exalteth a nation righteousness had we not the mailed fist and was not the god of battles with us for the lord our god most high he hath made the deep as dry he hath smote for us a pathway to the ends of all the earth was not this fair earth ours by purchase and right of race had we not bought it from jehovah by blood and sacrifice we have strawed our best to the weeds unrest to the shark and the shearing gull if blood be the price of admiralty lord god we have paid in full and should we not do as we would with our own the indian in india the boer in the transvaal the irishman in ireland what were they but food for our imperial hopper paget m p was a liar a wretched emissary of exeter hall prowling around the quarters of gentlemen and cackling about the grievances of indians what did he know of india what were the natives that they should have grievances and the irish what were they but traitors traitors against the chosen people of the god of blood and iron of his inflamed vision that god beneath whose awful hand we hold dominion over palm and pine and labour what was the insurgence of labour but the insolent murmurings of the walking delegate for the chosen people were few they did not include the miserable rabble who toiled and who only became interesting to the godlike mind when they took the shilling and entered the lordliest life on earth the chosen people in a word had mr cecil rhodes at one end of the scale and the raw recruitery at the other and the empire was an armed camp governing by drumhead court-martial its deity a strange heathen god of violence and vengeance the war came and mr kipling turned contemptuously to the little street-bred people and commanded them to pay 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 it was their paltry share in the glorious enterprise of conquest and empire and when peace followed and down at roddingdean lady burne jones the aunt of the poet pointed the moral by hanging out the legend from nabos vineyard hast thou killed and also taken possession and the people with the dregs of the war-fever in them came about and demonstrated violently there emerged from the house a small dark man in spectacles with words of soothing and peace it was mr rudyard kipling face to face with the passions that he had done so much to kindle it is like a bad dream—the tale of those years, a bad dream with the strum of the banjo sounding through it, a sort of mirthless demoniac laugh, the laugh heard at its most terrible in the gentlemen rankers We're poor little lambs who've lost our way, ba ba ba. We're little black sheep who've gone astray, ba. Ah, ah. Gentlemen rankers out on the spree, damned from here to eternity god have mercy on such as we Ba ya, bah what was the secret of the hypnotism he exercised it was partly the magic of an appeal perfectly attuned to the temper of the time israel had waxed fat and had turned to the worship of the golden calf it was the emergence of the baser passions the lust of power without a purpose of wealth without industry the gold of south africa had set up a fever in the blood it was as though the nation had left the temples of its ancient worship to fall down before the ball of the stock exchange and in its haste to grow rich it turned passionately upon the stupid little pastoral people that stood insolently in its path and drunk with sight of power we loosed wild tongues that had not thee in awe in that momentary flash of the recessional mr kipling pierced to the heart of the disease and delivered his own merciless sentence and partly it was due to the astonishing intensity of his vision coleridge said of Keene that to see him act was like reading shakespeare by flashes of lightning mr kipling sees life by flashes of lightning and sets it down in phrases that strike like lightning it is a world filled with sudden and sinister shapes not men but the baleful caricatures of men not women but mened sisters with wild and bloodshot eyes and fearful dishevelled locks with boys that drink and smoke and swear like dragoons animals that talk and machinery that reasons like a yellow journalist it is all a disordered frenzied motion soulless and cruel a world seen in a nightmare, with all the intensity and literalness of a nightmare, and all its essential untruth. It is a fantastic mockery such as lurks in some wild poet when he works without a conscience or an aim. There is the essential fact. Mr. Kipling is a precocious boy with a camera. He has the gift of vision, but not the gift of thought he sees the detail with astonishing truth but he cannot coordinate the parts he gives the impression of encyclopedic knowledge for everything he sees is photographed on his retina and everything he hears is written down in his brain there is nothing he does not seem to know from the habits of aquila the wolf in the jungle or the seal in the bering straits to the building of a bridge and the mechanism of a liner from the ways of fuzzy-wuzzy in the desert to the ways of the harlot in whitechapel all lands are an open book to him the seven seas as familiar as the serpentine he uses the dialect of macandrew or mulvaney as readily as the jargon of the east and is as much at home in the ratcliffe highway as on the road to mandalay he is like the encyclopedia britannica fused with imagination at white heat and as the encyclopaedia is to literature so is he to life he knows everything except human nature he knows all about life but he does not know life because he does not know the heart of man and to the intense vision of the boy he joins the passions of the boy i am told by one who was with him when he came from india to england to school that he remembers him chiefly by the pranks he used to play at the expense of a mild Hindu kneeling on board at his devotions it was the instinctive dislike of the boy of the thing outside the range of his experience mr kipling has never outgrown that outlook it is the outlook of the unschooled mind vivid and virile confident but crude subject to fierce antipathies and lacking that faculty of sympathy that is the highest attribute of humanity he dislikes everything he does not understand everything which does not conform to that material standard which substitutes mayfair for sinai and speaks its prophecies through the mouth of the machine-gun a further cause of the unrivalled sway he exercised over the mind of the public was his fervid patriotism he sang of england with a defiance that sounded a challenge to the world and sent the blood singing through the veins it was said of general claber that merely to look at him made men feel brave to read kipling made men feel martial and aggressive we went out like the children of Town to the sudden rattle of a drum but the england of his hot passion was not the little england that we know the england of shakespeare and milton the england of a high and chivalrous past that freed the slave stretched out its hand to the oppressed and taught the world the meaning of liberty what do they know of england who only england know he cried scornfully as he marched on singing his fierce songs of an england that bestrode the world like a colossus treading the little peoples of the earth into the dust beneath its iron heel it was an appeal to the patriotism not of a people proud of its splendid services to humanity proud of having been ever foremost in the files of time but of a people filled only with the pride of material conquest it was not the soul of england that he loved and sang but the might of england the thunder of its battleships and the tread of its armies across the plains Mr. Kipling, in short, was not the prophet of a philosophy or of an ideal, but of a mood. The world of his imagination is a world without meaning or a purpose, for it is divorced from all moral judgments and values. His gospel of violence leads nowhere except to more violence. The lesser breeds are trodden in the dust, but the chosen people are touched to no fine issues by their victory." they have enslaved their foes without ennobling themselves justice and liberty mercy and tolerance all that gives humanity vision and nobleness is sacrificed to an idol whose nostrils breathe fire and smoke and whose eyes blaze with vengeance from all this it is doubtful if he is of the immortals with all his wonderful gifts his swift phrase his imaginative power his intellectual energy he is temporary as the moment's passion transient as the moment's hate for his vision is of the lightning fantastically real not of the sun sovereign and serene hence his astonishing influence while the mood to which he appealed was in the ascendant and his subsidence when that mood had passed HE KNOWS MUCH OF HATE, BUT HE KNOWS LITTLE OF LOVE, AND IN LITERATURE, AS IN THE ANGEL'S RECORDING-BOOK, IT IS Ben ADAM'S NAME, THE NAME OF HIM WHO LOVED HIS FELLOW-MEN, THAT LEADS ALL THE REST. HE KNOWS MUCH OF THE STREET, BUT NOTHING OF THE STARS. AND INDEED, WROTE Tennyson, WHAT MATTERS IT, WHAT A MAN KNOWS OR DOES, IF HE KEEP NOT A REVERENTIAL LOOKING UPWARD. HE IS ONLY THE SUBTLEST BEAST OF THE FIELD a reverential looking upward where in all that literature of passion and horror of the humour of the death's head and the terrible gaiety of despair of a world without a conscience or an aim do we find the recognition that man has a soul as well as faculties a moral law as well as the law of the jungle once only and in all the little ironies of literature there is none more significant than that mr kipling will probably be best remembered by that flash of a nobler inspiration when he turned and rent himself and the gospel that he preached For heathen heart that puts his trust In reeking tube and iron shard, All valiant dust that builds on dust, And guarding calls not thee to guard, For frantic boast and foolish word, Thy mercy on thy people, Lord. End of chapter 39